Hey, Westside family, Jake Gilbert here, one of the leaders in charge of our media department. Thanks for joining us for today's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. We love you guys, and enjoy. So with that being said, let's jump into the Bible. So last week, Lorana started uh, somewhat of a short series uh, of just going through key figures in the Bible, going over who they were, what they did, uh, where you can find about in Scripture. And, and so anyway, we're going to continue that. We're going to try to tackle five tonight. This one is going to be a little bit, these will be challenging for me to keep them short and brief. Uh, thank you, Debbie. And Debbie, could uh, someone help Debbie out, please? Uh, her other half, I won't say better half, but her other half will be, is helping her out. Uh, so anyway, when, when I, I study people in Scripture out there, man, I can't, I, there's just a lot, lot of details that, that I pull from people in their lives because they help me out uh, in my own walk and my own connection with God. So I'm going to try to keep things as brief as possible, give you just the nuts and the bolts without going into too much detail. So the first one is Jacob. So Jacob was the son of Isaac and Rebekah. You guys learned about Isaac last week. Uh, Isaac's the son of Abraham. Uh, so that makes Jacob the grandson of Abraham. Uh, Jacob was born a twin to Esau and one of the things he was made famous by was he was born grasping at his brother's heel. Uh, he was married to Leah and Rachel, or Leah, if you want to you want to pronounce it that way, either or. Uh, if you're not familiar, it's the story to where he thought he was working seven years for Rachel. Uh, Rachel was a younger daughter, but. In his or on his wedding night, his father-in-law switched the brides out. Mm, can you imagine that? This goes to show you, you know, if you wonder how they looked and how they dressed, and their reservation of 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 not revealing too much of you know themselves. This story just kind of sums it up, not sums it up, but just kind of gives you some detail. How can a man not know who he's married, <laughs> marrying on their wedding night, right? Well, it's because of the type of clothing that they were wearing and even how dark it was. And he woke up, and instead of the next day, instead of it being Rachel, it was Leah, uh, to his surprise. And uh, he had an issue with that. And so basically, uh, he was able, and basically the father-in-law said, so Leah is the oldest one. And in our culture, the oldest one must marry first. So if you want to be married to Rachel, you're going to have to work for me another seven years. So the Bible says that he actually completed his first week of, uh, of marriage with Leah, and then he was able to marry Rachel, but he had to work for an additional seven years, which was a total of 14 years. Uh, there is a lot, there is a lot of symbolism in the Jacob, Rachel, and Leah story. About, about putting what God has given you or what God has called you to first prior 
are before your own passions and dreams. Uh, the Bible said that Rachel was, was beautiful, uh, beautiful in form, all right? And Rachel, or Jacob, loved her immensely. It even says that he loved her so much that the second seven years that he worked for her went, went by like days or went by fast. But yet, even though he loved her and even though he was into her, even though she was beautiful to him, she really speaks of desire. She wasn't top priority. Top priority was the firstborn, and it was the way of the culture. And there's a really uh, an applicable message in here to us that you can have your desires, you can pursue your dreams, that it's okay to want the, the things that stand out to you, that is beautiful to you, that looks fun to you, but they cannot come before the priority of the culture that we've been adopted into. So we've been adopted into God's culture. And in, in his culture, he has specific priorities. And his priorities, his will for our life must be first. So there's a little application there in this story with Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. It's okay to have desires and wants, but that can never come before the priority of God's culture or God's kingdom. That must be first. And if we can align that up, so if we can balance out our pursuits and our desires, if we can balance that out with God's will, God's purpose, and God's desire for us, what we really have as children of God is a totality and purpose, a completion and fulfillment, and a distinct destiny that we, that, that we are to chase after. God wants you blessed with the desires of your heart, but he wants you to put the priority of his kingdom first. Does that make sense? So that's a little message in a nutshell about Leah and, uh, and Rachel and Jacob. So some of, uh, according to the paper here, some of his uh, claims to fame. Uh, number one is he was the father of the nation of Israel, uh, having fathered 12 sons who became the tribes of Israel. So if you ever hear us preaching and talking about the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, the, 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 the nation of Israel, well, the 12 tribes of Israel comes from the 12 sons of of Jacob. So the 12 sons of Jacob, their names is the name of each tribe in the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, so Jacob's name was changed to Israel. It was changed to Israel when he, when he got into a wrestling match with an angel. Uh, and the Bible teaches us that he would not quit. He would not give up. So he got in a wrestling match with an angel. Uh, the angel said, let me go, let me go. Jacob said, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And the Bible teaches us that the angel actually struck his hip and his hip went out of socket. Now this teaches me that Jacob was a tough joker. I don't know if you've ever knocked anything out of joint or if you've ever broke, sprang, dislocated anything, that booger hurts. And I've had multiple joints knocked out of place, broken, sprained, disjointed, all that. Never a major portion of my body like my hip. 
and the little places on my body hurt. I couldn't imagine my hip getting, knocked, getting dislocated. But the Bible says even in that, he held on. He kept fighting. He kept wrestling. And his, his statement was, I'm not going to let go. And it says that they wrestled all night long. And that is when his name was changed. So there, there is another message in that is sometimes in order to get your blessing, you got to fight through the pain, you got to fight through the night, and you got to let God know you're not going to let go until the blessing comes. And he was blessed with the name change of Israel. That's how we get the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel came from one man and his 12 sons, which make up the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Jacob stole his brother, his, his brother Esau's birthright. Not going to jump into that. Got other stuff to go over with other people. Uh, he had a, a famous vision about the future of Israel known as uh, Jacob's ladder. So there's a lot with Jacob. Uh, I really enjoy studying Jacob. He's a character that, I, I, that uh, has fed me a lot, that has taught me a lot in my own relationship, in my own pursuit of God, and even in my own faults, because Jacob was not a perfect man by any means. He had some issues. And it, my studying of his life has also just kind of opened up the mercy and grace of God uh, to his people, or to us, his sons and his daughters. So I would encourage you to dive in deeper uh, to Jacob. Jacob is a great character to study. He also begin to learn and realize the very beginning of God's people, uh, Israel. Uh, part of the beginning, not, not, the, not, you know, Abraham was the absolute beginning. So we, let's move on to the next, Joseph. Uh, Joseph, uh, 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 somewhat of a sad story, but yet that ends, that ends, you know, in, in a good way. So Joseph was kidnapped uh, by his twelve, uh, by his twelve older brothers, and he was uh, sold into slavery. Now the reason that uh, he was kidnapped and the reason he was sold into slavery is because his brothers hated him, couldn't stand him. He was a cocky, arrogant young man, and uh, his dad favored him and gave him, you know, a coat of many colors. And then God gave him dreams about his future. And then he would basically tell his brothers that they were going to bow down and worship him one day. So here he was. He was cocky. He was arrogant. He was favored. He was young, he, you know, possibly mouthy. And, and his ten brothers were like, oh, we're, we're, we're tired of this little squid, little punk. And uh, so at first they, they, they was planning on to kill him. But then the, one of his older brothers, Reuben, talked them out of that. I might, I might be getting it wrong with Reuben, but anyway, one of his older brothers uh, talked the others out of that, and they ended up selling them to a passing caravan who took him and then sold him in Egypt, and he became a slave under Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was a, a man of authority in Egypt, and so he worked in Potiphar's house. He was blessed in Potiphar's house, but yet Potiphar's wife had the hots for this young Jewish uh, boy or young man and so Potiphar's wife would pursue him and I, I really like this story when it comes to uh, how to resist sexual temptation especially for young men or teenage boys in today's age uh, 
sexual temptation is so evident no matter where you look, no matter where you go. You can be watching a car, you know, a commercial about cars or, and, or Jesus, there's commercials about shampoos and soaps and you get someone oohing and on as if they was in a sexual encounter. You know what I'm talking about, all right? All right, and, the, and, and it's ridiculous. And so the temptation is like loud and clear there. But this is a perfect story, uh, uh, especially if you dive into it about here is this young man, blessed, favored, who was given absolute access to this experienced woman who was hot for him. But yet he stayed true to two people. He stayed true to God, number one, and he stayed loyal to his, his master, who was Potiphar. And again, this is another story about being loyal, loyal to God, faithful to God, loyal and faithful to the, to the people you're connected with, to the people you maybe work for or the people that, that you are underneath in, 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 in some degree. So right then and there, you see a type of integrity. You see a type of, of really strong, righteous, godly character in Joseph. This is the first time you really see the godliness of Joseph coming through. Up to this point, he was a little nuanced. He was a little pain in the butt because he would tell his brothers the dreams and all you know, the stuff I just got through saying. And, you know, you're wondering, you know, who, who is this guy? He's a little punk, you know. Maybe he doesn't get, deserve to die or be sold, but, you know, definitely maybe he can get a good old licking by the ten brothers and maybe shut his mouth. But right here, you really see the character of God coming out of this young man when he says no to this woman. Well, you would think that good would come out of that, right? You know, we're taught, we think, you reap what you sow, which is true. That you do good and God is going to bless you. Well, you know, what happens? All of a sudden, the wife got mad because he ran away. He ran away when she was like physically pursuing him. She actually latched onto him. He ran away. She just didn't let go, but she held on, which shows you her, aggressive, her aggressiveness. It shows you that she definitely had an issue with lust. And when he ran away, his clothing was tore and uh, he left back some of his clothing. Well, for whatever reason, I guess she got tired of being told no. She told her husband that Joseph tried to rape her. And so most men is going to believe their wives. And so he believed her, and he basically threw Joseph into prison. This could raise a bunch of questions. Okay, God, here's this righteous dude that is standing up for righteousness he's being he's he's exercising integrity and so forth and now he's thrown into prison something we have in this something we have to remember the principle of reaping and sowing always comes to pass but it doesn't always come to pass when we think it's going to come to pass sometimes our choices of righteousness our choices of operating in good character and integrity is just simply investments into God. We are long-term investments, investments, investments. We can do, to do good today, and we can get treated bad tomorrow. We can choose the high road today, and we can kind of be persecuted tomorrow. Jesus even said they're going to hate us because we love him. But I guarantee you this. 
Your day is coming for blessing. Your moment for God to prove his faithfulness to you is coming. And this was really the Joseph story. He was thrown into prison. Just because he was thrown into prison doesn't mean that his favor faded. He was actually favored in prison and he was put in charge uh, over, over a certain group in, 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 in prison. Uh, he was given a chance to exercise uh, his giftings and his abilities, which right there shows you leadership capability. So now you see Joseph put into prison. You not only see a, a, a man uh, of righteousness and integrity, but you also see a man with leadership skills. So he was able to run a portion of the prison. He was able to minister uh, through his giftings uh, with, with, the, with, with the baker and uh, an, another one of the king's men's. Long story short, uh, the pharaoh ended up having some dreams. One of the men remembered Joseph that he was that that he could foretell or he could uh, he could uh, break down dreams. And so Pharaoh pulled him out, and the primary gift of Joseph's life was exercised in. Not only was he removed from prison, but he was, put in, he was put into second place or second in charge in all of Egypt. And again, there's a couple story, there's a couple messages, tons of messages, but two specific. Number one, going back to the reaping and the sowing. So Joseph sowed good. He sowed good in Potiphar's house. He sowed good in prison. And finally, his day of reckoning came. His day of blessing came. God blessed him he wasn't you know it was he he shouldn't have been sold he shouldn't have been treated like he was treated by his brothers he shouldn't have been accused by Potiphar's wife he shouldn't have been thrown in prison he should have been free he should have been able to remain with his family some of you you've been through some things that you should not have been through it wasn't your fault it, it you're not to blame it. You went through it. God allowed it. And all I can say to you is if you have stayed faithful to God, there's going to be a day when the goodness and the blessings of God repays you for everything you lost and all the pain you went through and all the struggle you went through. And this was Joseph's day of blessing. But here's a, there's another message in this, and it's the message of giftings. Whenever you are given an opportunity to exercise your God-given gifts, let them rip. Because it was Joseph's special ability to interpret a dream that got him out of a prison and put him second, second in command in Egypt. It was also, it was his gift that led him to a position to be able to save his father and his brothers and in essence rescue a soon-to-be nation that God was going to turn into a great righteous people. And it all started, number one, from, from Joseph exercising with integrity, being faithful to God, and working his gift. Work what God gives you to work. Never stop working what God gives you to work. You work what God gives you to work, God is going to bless you with it. It may not happen immediately, because remember, Joseph, it didn't happen with Joseph immediately. 
But when the time was right, God opened the door, and it was his gift that got him out of prison and put him in a position of blessing. Amen? All right, let me, let me move on. I'm, I'm kind of varying a little bit from this paper, uh, but that, that's okay. Moses, ooh, probably one, yeah, top two or three characters of mine in the Bible. So Moses was, Moses, la 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 la, Moses, Moses, I keep getting that wrong. You would think I didn't, I didn't, I, I put something in my mouth that numbed my tongue and lips. So Moses was saved from death uh, by his mother. Uh, so there was a decree that every firstborn child, two years, male child that was two years and young to be killed. But yet Moses' mom wasn't going to have it. She wanted to put her faith in God as opposed to giving her kid over to Pharaoh or to the Egyptian ways. And she put him in a little, a, 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 basically a little ark, a little a basket. Just this ain't on here, but for the record, the basket and what she covered the basket in uh, is connected with the ark, with, with Noah's ark, the ark of the covenant, and Jesus Christ. So something for you to just remember, and you can study out on your own. But she put Moses in this basket. He went down the river. He floated into the bathing area of, of Pharaoh's palace where Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. She, she saw it. She found it. She wanted to keep it, what Pharaoh's daughters want, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter gets. Just so happened that the sister was in the weeds checking, checking out the details, and the sister walked, went up to the Pharaoh's daughter and says, hey, I know someone that can nurse this baby if you're wanting to keep him as your own. And that was her mom, which was Moses' mom. And so that's what happened. So Moses was raised in his mom's house for four years. Now, I, I am by no means a, 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 a uh, I don't even know, know the, the title. I'm not a specialist on, on, on child rearing or anything like that by any means. But I have read and I have heard more times than not that what you, keep, what you teach your children before four years old creates a foundation uh, in their life and a system of habits and a system of beliefs, uh, a system of expectations and all these things. So many things develop in a child between the ages of zero and four. And I find it so, so, so interesting how Moses was in his own home up to the ages of four years old. And if you study the life of Moses after he was four years old, he was raised in the house of Pharaoh, but yet there were certain things that he chose not to partake of in Pharaoh's house. He looked like a Pharaoh, he looked like an Egyptian, but he didn't live like an Egyptian. And I cannot help but to think of the influence that his mom gave him as a young child that's connected to the scripture, raise up in the child in the way that they should go and they will not depart from it. And so basically Moses was raised in Egypt, in the house of Pharaoh, until he was about 40 years old. At 40 years old is when 
he killed another or he killed an Egyptian because an Egyptian was was abusing one of his fellow brethren. The word got back to Pharaoh. Uh, there was basically, you know, the thought that he was going to be executed because of this. And he fled the wilderness. So Moses went to the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for another 40 years. At the end of that 40 years, you have Moses, 80 years old. Moses had lived in two different cultures. So the first half of his, of his life, he had lived within an Egyptian culture. The second half of his life, he had lived in an, uh, a, uh, a wilderness culture. It's very interesting, and you can just really see how God works. Again, Moses, God has used Moses in my life on many, many levels uh, to teach me and to lead me and to help me in my own journey of faith. And you see how God works. So at 80 years old, God commanded Moses to go into Egypt to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Well, someone's not just going to walk up inside of Pharaoh's house and say, let my people know. There was a process. There was a protocol. There was a cultural, cultural way that had to be exercised. Well, Moses was raised in this process. He was raised in this protocol, and he was raised knowing the Egyptian culture. So he knew exactly what to do in order to stand in front of Pharaoh. At the same time, he knew the culture in which his people had lived in and had been enslaved in, so he knew how to interact with them according to a culture that they had been living in and been enslaved in. But then God was going to use Moses to lead those people through the wilderness, through the place that he had been for the past 40 years. So you see how God had developed Moses to be this leader, to be this man that not only knew how to get inside of Egypt to say, hey, let my people go, but to also have this wisdom, this knowledge, and this understanding to be able to lead his people through the wilderness into the promised land. Now, the message to us behind this is sometimes God will put us inside scenarios. God will take us through season. God will force us into places where we don't know why in the world God is putting us where we are at. But in all reality, God is allowing us to become educated in a certain way with a certain group, with a certain people, so that one day God can raise us up and send us into a place so that we can maybe say, let my people go, or that we have the ability to lead people through a certain scenario. That's how God uses, and that's how God works with us. Now, it doesn't mean that we always see that and we always recognize that. I'm going to tell you something that I've preached before, but I'm going to say it again. It's one of my favorite revelations in Scripture. So when Moses was 80 years old, and God said, and, and God got Moses' attention uh, with the burning bush. So the Bible says that there was this bush, it was burning, but yet it was not on fire. And so Moses, it, it drew, it got Moses' attention, Moses got close to it, and then there was a voice, and it was God speaking to Moses, and the first thing that it said was, Moses, Moses. And I love this. 
And I've had to go back to this many times to realize that God accepts me for who I am and not for what people want me to be or what people think I am. So when he said, Moses, Moses, he was speaking to the Egyptian side of Moses and he was speaking to the Hebrew side of Moses. And when he said, Moses, Moses, from that point forward, he began to interact with Moses in the way in which he was calling Moses. And so the first thing that he did is he spoke to the identity of Moses. And the second thing he did is he confirmed to Moses that he accepts both identity. Up to this point, Moses wasn't fully accepted by the Egyptians because he was a Hebrew. And up to this point, he had never fully been accepted by the, by the Israelites because he was raised in, in, in Pharaoh's house. And if you really dig down into it, when he first met his wife, his wife looked at him and his wife thought he was an Egyptian and did not know that he was a Hebrew. So in all reality, his wife, the person that he was the most intimate to, intimate with did not even see who he really was but finally somebody not body God himself said Moses Moses and it got Moses's attention because for the first time in his life somebody identified him as who and what he really was and not only identified with who and what he really was accepted and called the totality of who and what Moses really was and so the message for us is God sees who you really are God calls all of who you are, and God accepts all of who you are, even though he may not accept some of the choices and some of the actions and some of the failures that comes out of all who we are. God calls all of, all of who we are. Does that make sense tonight? Somebody may not accept, or everybody may, in your life may not see, recognize, nor accept all of you, but God sees, recognizes, and identifies with all of you, and he calls you out. And he wants to use all of you. Amen. That has blessed me, blessed me, and blessed me. I, that revel I received that revelation. Part of that revelation came from a message that I heard. And then I began to study into it. And then the Lord began to reveal to me things. That revelation came to me in 1995. So I, that, that's an old revelation. But it has been with me for all these years, and it has guided, and it has helped me, and it has reminded me, Jonathan, God sees exactly who you are. God accepts exactly who you are, and God wants to use exactly who you are. That message ain't for me, but that message is for you, too. So I pray you receive it. All right, I know, I'm, I know I'm giving you my own version of these characters. What time is it? Oh, 7.43. Let's just move on to the next. You guys got the paper. You can read what they give you, and you can hear what I'm giving you. Joshua. See, Joshua's childhood is not uh, mentioned uh, in the Bible. Uh, who he was married to uh, is, is unknown. As it says right here, I'm going to give you a little bit more detail than what this thing gives you. Uh, Joshua led Israel after the death of Moses. That's what he was popular for. Uh, he led the first raids uh, after Exodus 
uh, in the promised land, including starting with uh, Jericho. But there's a little bit more to Joshua than just the predecessor of Moses. The fact that he was the predecessor of Moses says a whole lot. We could dive into that and, and spend a lot of time on that. But I, I, I want to bring out to you who he was, two things about him prior to him being the predecessor of Moses. And this teaches us about his character and what and how he could be trusted with a hard task. So number one, let's go to Mount Sinai. So Mount Sinai, Sinai as, you, as I'm sure most of you know, is the mountain that Moses went to to receive the Ten Commandments. He went to this mountain after uh, the departing of the Red Sea, after the escape or the exit from Egypt. They came to this zone, and it was the Mount Sinai zone. The people of Israel stayed, on, on, stayed in the flatland, stayed in the valley, and Moses climbed the mountain. He found a place that God had directed him to, got connected with God. He was up there for a while. Not, I think it was about a month and uh, or maybe 40 days. Some of the, my, my, my brain don't keep details very well. He, was, he, he wasn't up there real long, but, you know, say four to six weeks. Uh, and the people got restless. It really gives you an insight into Israel. They hadn't, they've, up to this point, they had never had a true leader, so they didn't even understand the process that a leader goes to to hear from God. They thought Moses brought them out to the wilderness, and Moses had abandoned them, and they reverted to their past. Man, so pl- i got to say this to you because the Holy Spirit just, just brought, brought it, brought it uh, to my attention. Don't revert to your past if you are in an extended waiting time for God to direct you for your future. Let me say that again. If you come out of, do not go back to whatever God has delivered you from if you are in a waiting period for God in your life. Israel was in a waiting period but yet they didn't know how to wait. At this point, they didn't know the process of God. They didn't know what God was doing. They got antsy. They lost their patience. They, they, they had Aaron build a, a, a golden calf out of all this gold that they had received from Egypt. And that's all they knew. All they knew is Worshipping an object. That's what they did in Egypt. That's all that they knew. And it wasn't worshipping the true God. So they got antsy on, on Moses receiving the commandments. And they began to worship this golden calf. Without waiting on God. I cannot say to you enough tonight. Wait on God. Look at somebody and say, wait on God. Do not go back to your past. Wait on God. He is faithful. He is good. But he is also a God of order, and a God of order has a perfect time for what he wants to do in your life. Amen? So wait on God and wait on his perfect time. Well, they did this. They, you know, they was worshiping this, this calf, and Moses saw it. Moses recognized it. Moses got angry. He threw the tablets down, and... Uh, 
They broke. Now let's jump back to Joshua. Joshua and I'm forgetting details. It was Joshua, if I'm not mistaken, the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, they chose not to do that. And basically, so two things here. What we see in Joshua, number one, he had the patience to wait on God. He was obedient to his leader. He was faithful to the Lord. And then God gave him, a com- or Moses, through God, gave him a command to go and execute his own people. What did Joshua do? Along with the others that did not bow down to the golden calf, they went and they executed their own people, the ones that worshiped the golden calf. So here you have Joshua, a leader in the making. He was faithful waiting on God. He was faithful to the leader that God had put him under while his own leader was going through a process. Sometimes we got to wait on our leaders to go through a process with God. And he was willing to carry out a hard task. Can you imagine having to execute to death your own people? It would be tough, but yet he was obedient. So right here you begin to see the wonderful makings of a very strong leader. A leader that was faithful, a leader that was patient, and a leader that was obedient, and a leader that was willing to tackle the hard stuff. You don't always find that in leaders. A lot of people want to be a leader, but not a lot of people want to be patient. Not a lot of people want to be faithful. Not a lot of people want to be really obedient. And a lot of people don't want to have to deal with the hard stuff. But a godly leader exercises those four plus other principles. So you see that happening in Joshua's life. And now, after that ordeal and after they are actually in the wilderness for a time, a, a, a tent, it's called a tent of meeting, this, well, yeah. Moses would meet with God in this tent of meeting and, and there's a little, a very, very, very little area of scripture that, that gives us detail into Joshua's heart, which could be the reason, I believe, is the reason that he was able to carry out the, other, the, 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 the four principles. So the Bible says that Moses would go into the tent and he would meet with God and God would meet with him and that the people of Israel would come and stand outside their tents and they would witness this, this communion, this interaction with God. They didn't, it scared them. They, they didn't want to be a part of it. They just wanted Moses to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but the Bible says that Joshua would go inside that tent and when Moses finished, he would stay. Joshua wanted to be in the place where God spoke to his leader. Joshua wanted to be 
in the place where God's presence was. And he just didn't want to go in there and get his ears tickled. And he just didn't want to go and get the little feel-goods happening. But the Bible says that he stayed when Moses was finished. And it gives us a, it, it, it really gives us a window into Joshua's heart and a window into Joshua's soul. How was he able to be so patient? Wait on the Lord when he didn't even know what he was waiting on. How was he able to be so submissive to Moses when in our reality, you know, Moses had never been around in his life. He was just kind of going off of faith. How was how was he able to be obedient and how was he able to carry out such a hard task of executing his own people because he had a heart for God? He had he had a heart for God's presence. He had a heart for God's power. He had, a, he had a, a heart for God. He wanted to connect with God. He wanted to hear from God. He wanted to commune with God. That's why he went into the tent of meeting. There's a reason it's called the tent of meeting because it was the meeting place that Moses had with God. It's where God met with Moses. And the Bible says that God spoke with Moses as a friend speaks to a friend. And Joshua went into that place and he stayed into that place. If you want to be a good godly leader, or if you want to work with a good godly leader, make sure that leader seeks, loves, and stays in the presence of God. The best way to determine to whether or not a godly leader is a godly leader is to know how deeply connected they are to God himself. Amen? So that set Joshua up to be this great leader of Israel. He suffered through 40 years in the wilderness with Moses, fulfilling a lot of tasks and a lot of roles. And then... When they come to the, to the wilderness side of the Jordan, it was time for Moses to separate himself. That's when Moses climbed the mountain. He was 120 years old. He climbed the mountain. He, he, he got up on this mountain, and he basically died. And right before he did that, he turned the reins over to Joshua. And that's when the Lord spoke to Joshua for Joshua to meditate on the word day and night, not to deviate from it, but to obey everything that it says and that he will be successful. After that word, another word came for the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant and wade through the Jordan River and for the people to follow after. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't even know where the river began because at this time of the year, the river was flooded. So if you've ever been in a floodplain, that that it that where you have flooded waters that's coming out of a river and that 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 those waters are flooded you don't know where the river begins and you don't know where the river ends you could just be walking in thigh deep water and all of a sudden you come to the edge of the river and your next step is you have fallen into 10 foot of water and it's not just any water because that's where the current is the current is in the river and it could sweep you away and you could and you could easily drown they was walking through a floodplain this time of the year is when the Jordan was flooded. And they were walking with the covenant, with, with the Ark of the Ark of the Covenant. The priest was first. 
And the Bible says that when they stepped into the river, I believe that they were walking through flooded waters. And when their foot hit the actual riverbed, the Bible says that the water was pushed back, pushed backwards. And they crossed the Jordan into a place called Gilgal on dry land. That was initiated by the leadership of Joshua. It's, it's important to, again, to, be, to remember the leader characteristics that Joshua had in the very beginning is the same characteristics that he had to exercise when he led Israel across the Jordan to be circumcised in Gilgal. That's where they became circumcised. And then to take a hold of Jericho and let this reign of, of conquering and victory begin for God's people into the promised land. It was all done by Joshua. What time is it? I've got three minutes. Let's go Samuel real fast. I was planning on Samuel to be fast on, uh, anyway. So Samuel was a prophet, but yet he was also a judge before Israel had kings. We know they had judges. Uh, they judged the right and the wrong, the good and the bad. The, the issues and the scenarios that Israel was going through was Samuel was not only a judge, but Samuel was also a, a prophet. Uh, Samuel is the, ch is, is the child of Hannah. Hannah couldn't, if you remember the story, Hannah couldn't have babies. Hannah went to, to the priest and was crying, and, or to the temple and was crying and weeping, and the priest thought she was drunk, and the priest began to rebuke her, and, uh, and basically the priest and her had this, had this interaction, and uh, it, it came about that, that she was, she's going to have a child, but she was going to have to give him uh, after he was weaned from nursing, she was going to have to give him uh, over to the Lord via the temple. And so after the child was weaned, she delivered him to that priest in that temple. And he began his, his, his duties as a child uh, that had just been weaned. Now, now us, it, it, we, we can't think of it, and I can't give you an age, I don't know, but I do know it's different. A lot of mothers might wing their children uh, anywhere from 18 to 12 months nowadays. Uh, some, you know, some less, less than that. Uh, rarely do you come across individuals that keep uh, breastfeeding, uh, you know, two years and above. I, I, I have known some people that has breastfed their children, you know, to four and five years old. Uh, that's a little hard, a little different in our modern era. Each to their own, no judgment, right? Some of you might be thinking, oh, God, no. some of you mamas might be thinking, oh, God, not me. I'm not going to have a four-year-old nursing on me. Uh, anyway, back in the day, they did nurse to an older, to an older uh, age as such. Like I said, I can't give you an exact age. So it's not like he just went into the temple uh, when he was one years old. We don't know the exact time. We just know when he was weaned uh, is when she took him to the temple. And it was when he was a young boy in the temple that God began to speak to him. And you know the story. God spoke to him, called him by name three, three times. He thought the priest was calling him. So he jumped out of bed, went to the priest. The priest said, I haven't called you. Go back to bed. God said, Samuel. And finally, the last time the priest was like, the priest told him what to do. He says, when it happens again, you say, here I am, Lord. And so it happened again. He said, here I am, Lord. And it be began this amazing journey 
of him operating in two roles, the role of a prophet and the role of a judge. Samuel is the prophet that initiated David into his position. He's the prophet that, uh, that rebuked uh, Saul for some of the things that, that he did. You can find his story and you can find his, 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 how he was used by God in First and Second Samuel. He actually uh, has a couple books by him. And uh, let me just read you some claims to fame here since I'm not giving you a, a, a lot of detail. Uh, Samuel anointed Saul, the first uh, king of Israel, and later anointed King David, like I just said. When Saul was in trouble, he brought Samuel back back uh, from the dead, and Samuel cursed him. This was a major issue with Saul. Uh, he actually went to, to, to see, he went to, he, uh, he, he went to a person for that to happen, and this was like a major mark against him. Uh, he was known throughout Israel for his prophetic giftings, and he is considered by many to be Israel's uh, greatest judge. So this is really the first prophet that you come across, even though the Bible says Moses was a prophet. But as far as the people that we, we consider the prophets, he's the first one you really come across, and he's a great person to study. A little less technical, in me, in my opinion, for me, a little less technical and a little bit more easier to understand his workings as opposed to when you dive into, let's say, some of the other prophetic books like uh, Pro, uh, uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Some of those can be so technical and require uh, somewhat uh, a, a knowing of Israel's history. Samuel is a really good book to begin studying about God's prophets uh, in the Old Testament, if you're interested in that. So anyway, that's five. I know I deviated from uh, what's on the paper here. I gave you a little bit more detail and a little bit more stuff the paper didn't give you. I pray and I hope it blessed you tonight. Uh, just want to remind you, we don't take offerings anymore, but yet we still have ways to give, and the church still functions off the tithe and the offering of us that comes here to Westside. Uh, we have uh, a basket in the back that you can give. We have our financial kiosk that you can give. You can text and, 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 and give. Uh, and eventually, here pretty soon, we're actually going to be installing offering boxes uh, at each door. So that'll be a way for, for you to give also here in, in the soon, uh, in, the, in the near future. So before we go, we're going to have prayer, and, and I hope this is okay. Uh, Michael, would you mind if we prayed for your dad uh, with you standing in, in for him? You can just stand up right there. You don't have to come to the front. Could I, could I get some men and women? Would you gather around Michael? Uh, we're going to pray for, pray for his dad. Uh, so it's Michael's dad that we had prayer for Sunday night at the baptism when Carolina uh, uh, had to leave. Uh, because of an emergency uh, in the hospital. And, uh, and so his, his, dad, his dad has been fighting the good fight, but yet I know he's not out of the water. I don't know all the details, uh, but we just need, we need God to move on his behalf and do a miracle in his body. So if you're, if you're sitting here, would you just stretch your hand out uh, toward Michael's way? Michael, what is your dad's name? I I'm sorry, I don't know him. Rudy? Rudy, right? Rudy, thank you. Heavenly Father, we come before you in faith on behalf of Rudy.
Father, we declare according to the, to the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, healing in Rudy's body. We ask that you administer your power. We ask that you administer healing. We ask that you administer strength to his organs and to any malfunction that is occurring, that is taking place in his body right now. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over him. I declare the promise and the, and the, the declaration of scripture over him by his stripes, his being Jesus's, by the stripes of Jesus Christ. We are healed. I declare it in the name of Jesus Christ. I ask that you give Rudy rest. You give Rudy peace. And Father, I ask that you minister to Rudy, minister to him mentally, minister to him emotionally, minister to him spiritually, minister to him physically. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, I ask that you release a peace to the family for Michael, for Carolina, for any other family members that is involved, Lord. I ask that they experience and they receive a peace that passes all understandings, as your word says. A peace that gives them rest, a peace that settles their soul, settles their emotion, a peace that causes them to realize you're at work and they can call upon you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we said amen and amen. God bless you guys. Hopefully we'll see you Sunday, uh, 10 o'clock. Have a good, good evening. We love you. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.